the difference between clean and unclean animals. We've seen so far about the regulation for the sacrifices. We've seen the insulation of the priesthood, the duties of the priest, the high priest, and the penalty that came very swiftly in the very last chapter for those who presumed upon God's grace and they brought something God didn't prescribe. came so near to him, even to his altar. And um, the Lord spoke to Moses and he told the people, this is what I meant when I told you, I will be sanctified in them that come near me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Something that we don't see always swiftly executed in our midst today. But sooner or later it's bound to happen to anyone who begins to be proud in God's presence or begins to take credit or begins to introduce something that God does not like and did not prescribe. It's uh, equivalent to a person calling Jesus Lord and themselves being Lord in actual practice. So it's a wonderful thing to have Leviticus included in the Pentateuch and the Bible to show us the holiness of God, the greatness of God, and how he will bless his people. And he wants to come near, he wants to bless. But we have to keep his commandments. Leviticus chapter 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, and chewing the cud, that you may eat. You see another description later on, what's known as the second law, or the second, or the reiteration of the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 14. But here's the first instance of this regarding the clean and unclean animals. Again, at the outset, we have to say that God has his reasons. And not everything is understood. And there are people who read into these things and they may advocate eating particular animals or fish and some not to eat today under the New Covenant, they may say from a dietary point of view, from a nutritional point of view, certain things are uh, toxic. And there are those who go to the extent of saying all of the animals have a problem, just stick with vegetables. But these are all statements that whether certain things are true or not, as we know today from a scientific point of view, it's not the reason primarily why God told them to do certain things. And we cannot infer that God thought as we think. With many things, they're not expressly stated. We spoke about the colors of the curtains of the tabernacle. 
the kind of thread that was used. There's nothing written there, but as we read, God may reveal certain things. And yet, the main point is, God just declared it. And he said, this is the way it is. And in this case, it begins by saying that if you eat animals which I have called unclean, pronounced unclean, and this is what it looks like, not necessarily getting to the reason why beyond that they shouldn't eat it, then that's how it is. The person becomes unclean. They become a rebel. And then God makes a provision as he always does. He doesn't just come to give negatives. He doesn't just come to give law saying, don't do this and don't do that. You can't do this. But he comes and tells us what we can do. So it's the enemy that always comes and says, well, you can't have fun, you can't have freedom, you can't have joy. How come I can't do this and that? And He will twist the glorious good news of the gospel, the eternal benefits and enjoyment that we have with our Father. And we just walk with Him. We have everything that we need. Every human need, from the spiritual to the psychological to the physiological, every human need, God is sufficient to bless us and help us and to prosper us. That's, that's how it is. And anyone who's walked with God will know. It's a pure joy to be with the Lord. And so, when we read this section as believers, although this does not apply to us now, because the New Testament says clearly, whatever you eat, once you've prayed over it, it's sanctified by prayer and the Word of God. And yet we see how specific God gets. He knows all the animals. He mentions quite a number of creatures here. Once again, as we're going to see shortly regarding the skin diseases, different diseases that may be under the banner of leprosy. God presents a whole list of medical protocol and advice commandments as well as over here pronouncing creatures that they may or may not have been quite familiar with he brings it up in other words one of the things we see here is that God covers everything that they need to know it is so wonderful. We often talk about education where the teacher that lays out from day one the very clear expectations of the students is a very good teacher. But the one who is vague and does not cover everything and suddenly springs on the students with penalties that they had no idea about what was deserving of the penalties, that's not a good instructor at all. God being the best teacher, best father. He lays everything out exactly and he said, this is the way, you have to walk this way. The other things you must not do because it will cause you to be out of fellowship with me and it can destroy you. These are the kind of background premises that we need to keep in mind as the driving principle in Bible study when it comes to the Old Covenant and specific Regulations such as these. 
The principle we draw from this again and again is certain things God says is holy are holy, certain things are unholy or unclean. We need to stick to that which God says is holy. He knows everything. As It's very evident here. He knows all of the creatures of the desert, of the wilderness, of the skies, of the water. He made them all. He's telling them, you need to listen to what I'm saying and just follow it and you'll be in good terms with me. Notice what he says about the first regulation. Animals, whatever divides the hoof, verse 3, chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 3. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. There's certain terminology here, certain creatures that we understand, such as the hyrax, they may call a rock badger. But talking about what kind of creatures and classifying them by chewing the cud or having split hooves and saying how both need to uh, be the case. You may eat any animal that has completely split hooves and chews the cud. Verse 4, you may not, however, eat the following animals that have split hooves or that chew the cud, but not both. The camel chews the cud, but does not have split hooves. So it is ceremonially unclean for you. It's amazing to me how God is so patiently, lovingly, very clearly communicating. And he does it often by repetition. And he spells things out very clearly. He says, on the one hand, the animal must do both. That is, they must possess, they must have both. They must possess the split hooves and they must chew the cud. You'd think that with that specification, the commandment, they would understand, well, if an animal doesn't have both, you don't eat it because it, God says it's, it's forbidden. But he goes further and he clarifies that. He re-emphasizes that. He says, I've told you this, but just to be more clear for you, just like you remember the regulations for the manna, he told them clearly, the sixth day you'll have enough for the following day, the Sabbath. So don't go out on the Sabbath day. And then he spells out what will happen to the manna. It will stink. And if you keep a certain amount past the time, except for the Sabbath day, It'll rot. And later on we'll see also, this is the case with the cultivation of the land. God says the land should enjoy a Sabbath rest. And to this day, certain people in Israel, they observe that and they've said how scientifically it's amazing how it works when people seem to take a loss by not cultivating it for a whole year. Business is booming. They say the ground is far more healthier when you let it rest for that Sabbath rest. So there are certain principles that people take, even non-Jews, 
from the Old Testament and they've seen the benefit of it but not all of it and we mean by these creatures here not everything has to do with some nutritional benefit or the lack thereof if we eat a certain food that's once classified as unclean because the Bible says in the New Testament everything's sanctified don't refuse anything when you pray and you have the word of God blessing it on the other hand we may see that certain creatures scientifically medically they have ringworms and other things involved such as swine or pig so modern technology and science have to deal with that we can't categorically assume that we just can't do without observing the Jewish laws the laws God gave to Israel for certain things to be eaten and not to be eaten and so these are the various things that we need to understand when we're looking at the Bible as a whole and the benefits of some of those things that we can carry by principle even today and a major item in that regard is the Sabbath rest as we are in the Sabbath rest because of Jesus blood yet during the week although we don't have a law that on the seventh day we follow these regulations that they had we have the principle God does want us to set aside a day where we gather together to worship him because the body of Christ is a family and to disregard that is to rob ourselves of the benefit that are clearly that is clearly there from setting aside a day to worship God in Colossians it says don't let anyone judge you on the Sabbaths whatever day a person wants to worship and we've talked about this before that if the family of believers body of believers they gather together on Sunday to worship as a tradition following what happened in the early church because the Lord rose on that day is a day of resurrection and then it would be odd for a believer to say I choose not to be with my family of believers on Sunday and I'll go off somewhere and worship on another day all by myself or with a few people various cults and pseudo-Christian groups will take things that are scriptural but out of context and twist them and then make it a law binding heavily upon people which God never meant to bind and that's the reason these things are mentioned now that it's easy for the devil to mislead someone when they read these things and say well I suppose I shouldn't eat pork anymore under the new covenant there's no such regulation now a person such as myself personally who does not eat pork because I don't particularly care for it that's our Christian liberty God gives but there's no law to eat or not to eat but there's a freedom that we can if it's received with prayer and sanctified by it and by the word let's continue reading here 
You may eat. You may not, however, eat the following animals that have split hooves or that chew the cud, but not both. The camel chews the cud, but does not have split hooves, so it is ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax or the rock um, badger or the coney chews the cud, but does not have split hooves, so it is unclean. The hare chews the cud, but does not have split hooves. So it is unclean. The pig has evenly split hooves, but does not chew the cud, so it is unclean. Now notice, uncleanness with regards to moral impurity versus ceremonial uncleanness with regards to nutritional choices here. Once God has pronounced certain things are unclean. The former carries over to us and forever. We must be holy within ourselves. And as the Lord Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out from the heart. And yet these regulations are there. They had to abide by it. We don't have to because we're free from this ceremonial law. The principles of how God declares one thing and it's off limits, it's off limits. That carries on or over to us with regards to our relationships with Him, with others, and what we do with our bodies. The hare chews the cut but does not have split hooves, so it is unclean. The pig has evenly split hooves but does not chew the cut, so it is unclean. You may not eat the meat of these animals or even touch their carcasses the dead bodies, they are ceremonially unclean for you. He'll also talk later about the objects that come into contact with these dead bodies of the unclean animals. In other words, God illustrates how uncleanness or sinfulness permeates every aspect of life. And we have to draw the line of demarcation, separate ourselves. There have to be boundaries that God has given. And if we choose to go close to the boundary, we will tip over and fall over to the other side. We need to take everything God says to us personally, very seriously, then we won't have the fear to fall or falling into something and wonder what happened. And this is what happens to many, many believers today. They presume upon God's grace. They ignore God's commandments. They fall into sin and then they wonder, where are you, God, and what's happened and they seek out people who don't care about God's holy standards and they'll preach a false grace message and they huddle together and they'll be in the wilderness together thinking that we're, we're God's people. And I guess just the way it is. Never understanding there's a promised land that's waiting for them where they can flourish through obedience. Someone may read Leviticus 11, if you'd like, from verse 9. It's, this chapter actually is particularly long, 46 verses, but if someone can read in a clear voice, loud enough, let's hear what else the Lord says about these different creatures as far as clean and unclean.
These you may eat of all that are in the water, whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. They shall be an abomination to you. You shall not eat their flesh but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you. And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, and the falcon after its kind every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the fisher owl, and the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, and the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron after its kind, the hoopoe, and the bat, all flying insects, that creep on all force shall be an abomination to you. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all force, those which have jointed legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth. These you may eat, the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. By these you shall be unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash their clothes and be unclean until evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot but is not cloven hoofed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean. And whatever goes on its its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It is unclean to you. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack. 
whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water, and it shall be unclean until evening, then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you shall break, and whatever is in it shall be unclean. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. And everything on which a part or any such carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether it is an oven or a cooking stove, it shall be broken down, for they are unclean and, and shall be unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean, but whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. And if a part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed which is to be sown, it remains clean. But if water is put on the seed, and if a part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. He who eats of his carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. Praise God. Praise God. So we have uh, an extensive list of not only the creatures that may be eaten and not eaten, but also the contamination that can come by touching the carcass of the unclean animals. When somebody comes into contact with these unclean animals, that is the dead body of the animal, then they get contaminated. We see that the contamination, whether it's by eating the unclean animals or touching the dead bodies of such, may or may not be 
accidental. So it's not necessarily something that a person becomes uh, intentionally sinful as a result of touching it. And yet God makes a provision. He says, these things will cause you to be unclean, but I'm making a way for you to be reinstated. I'm making a way for you to be cleansed again. It's possible. And he says what to do. He says about washing with water. We can certainly see the spiritual analogy there. Through the washing of regeneration, washing of the word of God, can come to God in penitence and repentance for something that causes us to violate his standard, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We can claim the promise of God's word and say, Lord, you said in your word you're merciful and you're gracious. I'm pleading for that mercy, though I don't deserve it. God says he will show mercy to those who fear him. It's possible to become clean, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. In this chapter here we see, God has made a way for that ceremonial cleanliness or holiness set apart to God, that state to come back to the person. The creatures, the animals, which are not supposed to be eaten, People have said that apparently they were not healthy to eat. People may have scientific reasons to date, medical reasons. And yet, the primary reason was not that at all. It was God illustrating further about what it means to be consecrated to him, set apart to him, and following his regulations for our lives to be holy. If those dietary laws were given for medical reasons, which should still apply to us today, then I don't believe that God would say that it'll be clean through prayer and the word. You don't have to worry about it. Why would he not say today also, well, that's toxic to them, it's toxic to you. And it's not just to say, well, today we have the technology to pasteurize. We have the technology to kill the worms and make these things that are toxic non-toxic to a degree. So we can enjoy the foods. That argument would not be sufficient either because there are people who are missionaries, people in certain parts of the world who don't have that technology. God doesn't tell them don't eat these things that he forbade the Israelites not to eat. If God cares for it, wouldn't he tell us? You just continue this part because these creatures are still not good for you. And if you have the technology, it's okay, but if you don't, watch out. He just says, it becomes clean to you. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we don't make healthy choices. In other words, the principle behind the matter is that according to the light that we have, we should walk in that light. So people for years were getting sick by doing something, whether it was eating certain things or a certain activity they engaged in. They didn't know any better. We might as well say an example would be smoking to some people in certain generations in certain parts of the world. They didn't understand, perhaps, initially, what's so wrong about it because they had no medical information supporting its danger. But by principle, they would know that this is something going to the body. What use does it have? It certainly would produce a cough, at least initially. God's Spirit will guide, even without the information, something that people may ignorantly do. When they have the Spirit of God, they would understand this is something wrong with this. No matter who does it and how many people do it, and whether it's culturally or socially acceptable, God will show us what things are good and what things are not. And so the prescription for the dietary regulations and ceremonial cleanness or holiness unto the Lord in all areas of life is not spelled out in terms of our diet today or certain choices, except that God says, be holy for I'm holy. And when we're walking with God, we have the Spirit of God, He will show the things that seem to be questionable or we don't have information about, or people are in a certain part of the world, they don't have the access to the education on such a thing. The Spirit of God will show, if we're sincere, what things to avoid. And it's all dependent upon following the principle of being separated unto the Lord and asking, Lord, what things would cause me to be defiled in your sight? And similar with a drink for social purposes. People can say all kinds of reasons, especially years ago, why there's no harm in it. And yet, even without the information we have today regarding the toxicity of alcohol, they would know there's something that's going into the body. It's the temple of God. And it goes against God's desire. They have a good measure of explanation in the Word. But certain things such as cigarettes certain choices of food. If one has the light and knowledge that certain foods contain high fat, they can lead to high cholesterol and all kinds of problems or high sugar. God doesn't spell these things out. And although he says all things can be eaten and not refused, sanctified by the word and prayer, it's understood that a person given light about what can harm their bodies, which are the temples of God, 
it's understood that that provision, that promise that the things a person eats are sanctified doesn't negate the principle that we must live by. And we have to make choices as to how to make this body that is given a glorious temple as best as possible, much as possible, and keeping, keeping it in good working condition as much as we can to be used in His service. So these are the overriding principles that are there. And we look at it from various angles, from what the general consensus is today, when they say apparently these things were toxic. May or may not be so. And we can't carry that and apply that to everybody. Certain things God doesn't expressly tell us today, as he did back then. But we do have the divine principles of being separated unto him. Consecrate yourselves. And the highlight, if I would be able to suggest to everyone, Leviticus 11, 44 and 45. It would be good to highlight this as applicable to us. Leviticus 11, 44. Just these words, not the whole verse, of course, because it says this. For I am the Lord your God, you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy, so do not defile yourselves. I will stop right there, just highlight those words. Because the rest of it says, with any of these small animals that scurry along the ground, that doesn't concern us. But we do have the whole verse of 45 highlighted also for us. We should. For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I'm holy. They came from a place that was not holy. So wherever God brought you out of, brought us out of, God says, don't go back because I've taken you and separated you from the darkness. Don't go back that way. You must be holy because I'm holy. If God has given these regulations for the specially chosen people, God says, do not look at your neighbors, at the world, and imitate them or long for that. You're different. I made you different. I made you set apart for me. Glory in that. Walk in that light. All will be well. I'll take care of everything. So these are the things that concern us as an overarching commandment from God and principle. Leviticus 11.44 For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves. You do it. Choose whether you're going to consecrate yourself. And be holy because I am holy. So do not defile yourself. Don't get yourself contaminated with the world. Whatever the world does, stay away from it. Just highlight those words. Leave the scurrying animals out of it because that doesn't concern us. Verse 45, he reiterates within two verses, very powerful. When God repeats something and that too, it's not spread out in a couple of chapters or the same chapter. This is back to back. Imagine that. God says, you must be holy because I'm holy. Again in verse 45 he says, for I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of destruction and bondage and darkness and idolatry, Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I'm holy. 
Praise the Lord. We'll have a very short chapter here, chapter 12, regarding purification. After childbirth, God just covers everything. And uh, in the New King James Version, would someone please read Leviticus chapter 12, perhaps a sister, as appropriate. Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Leviticus chapter 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, said, saying, Speak to children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As in the days of her, anything made of fire. Days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in blood or her purification thirty-three days. She shall not touch any hallowed things, thing, nor come into sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her circumcary period impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification sixty-six days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering, and a young pigeon uh, or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her and she shall be clean from a flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. Amen. Amen. It's in the Word of God, so we can't avoid it. And it's not meant to be avoided. God never said that only certain people should read this part. He gave the whole Bible to the whole people of God. And so we come across something like this. God in His wisdom has instituted these things. And people can understand readily for medical reasons that the uh, physical discharges that come associated with this blessing of um, giving birth to children have to be dealt with. And the identification of a mom, a mother, who would be able to um, be set aside from certain duties so she can take care of this purification that was necessary. It was a blessing to have children. It's God's gift. Children are an heritage of the Lord. We should never allow the devil to 
think of a condition regarding our children and think that it's not a good thing, as Satan does to many people today. So many people destroy children's lives because it's an inconvenience for them. Very, very tragic. It's murder. They simply go and have an abortion. They will simply discard the child that's born, leave the child, and abandon the child. How many times it happens? There's some people who may seek to justify themselves in certain parts of the world, say that we can't afford to have the child. So, they may slaughter the child. They may tell their medical providers, can you kill this baby? They won't say that language, of course. But they want to eliminate the child. and can't afford to have the child. For other people, the reasoning is that the child will be an inconvenience. It wasn't planned. It's an accident. In so many ways, they would devalue, destroy human beings. God here, unlike the pagan societies where they would have all kinds of immorality attached to it and sacrifice to their gods and um, devaluing a female child, absolutely desecrating the gift of a female child, such as I may have shared before in our own ancestry. There are people, there are millions of them in India, or were, who when the female child was born, they would hurry to destroy that child because it's considered a curse. How diabolically wicked that is. How cold-blooded murderous that is of a heart. Yet here we see if the purification is required after childbirth. It's quite straightforward. And it's in keeping with the rest of what God has said about the laws. There's a certain reason so that the woman can recover because the discharges are not clean. She needs to be purified not only ceremonially, but physically. It is so sensible. And she's allowed to come. It's not considered a sin, this uncleanness in these regards, uh, having to do with touching the dead body of a certain animal. But it's simply a state a temporary state where they had to rectify that, they had to correct it, and God said, this is the way you correct it, that's all. It's a blessing for every woman in Israel to have a child. It's a blessing from God. He says, but every woman has to go through this, what is it? To be purified. And we see the mention of circumcision, which is introduced before, first to Abraham, and that had to do with the covenant those people had to be circumcised. It's something secret. But it's something that God expected people to honor. And something that we're no longer under the law to today as believers. 
although people may opt to have children, male children circumcised today for medical reasons, it's not a requirement. Nobody dies and nobody gets sick necessarily because they're not circumcised. So everything's in context. We see how God lays certain things out. He says from this point to this point, these laws apply. Once Jesus came, the ceremonial laws, all these regulations, this very meticulous, detailed prescriptions that everybody had to do certain things um, in, in daily life, in the natural part of life, such as purification after childbirth. Now today, do people follow something of this regard? Of course, they rest. They have to look after their hygiene. And yet, again we see the principle is that because we are separated unto God, He's holy, verse 4 says, and she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. I'm reading from the King James. She shall touch no hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. She's not allowed to come to the tabernacle, the sanctuary. Because of these discharges, she had to take care of that. It wasn't a sin. But we have to remember God is holy. There are certain things that cannot just be ushered into His presence disregarding basic hygiene, basic holiness. This is a special case where there's a prescription of longer period of time for the restoration of the person's ceremonially clean state. It talks about the male child in verse 5, that the ceremonial uncleanness would last two weeks. Then it talks about the female child And we see a differentiation there. God has his reasons. In the New Living Translation, verse 2, it says, Give the following instruction to the people of Israel. If a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her customary on the eighth day, the boy's foreskin must be circumcised. After waiting 33 days, she will be purified from the bleeding of childbirth. It says seven days here, but then the 33 days after that. During this time of purification, she must not touch anything that is set apart as holy. And she must not enter the sanctuary until her time of purification is over. If a woman gives birth to a daughter, she will be ceremonially unclean for two weeks. Seven days. In the case of a son, in two weeks, in the case of a daughter, doesn't mean the daughter is any less than the son. God gives such dignity to the female members of his people, of society, of the human race. And yet, for certain reasons, he prescribes a different period of waiting 
In this case, it says after waiting 66 days, twice as much, should be purified from the bleeding of childbirth. They just had to follow this. And the priest was responsible. After the purification offering was brought, signifying that they observed what God said, to present them to the Lord to purify her. And God shows that everybody can be ceremonially cleansed. How beautiful. The offering, the sacrifice, they were all spread out in terms of what the person can afford. So that everybody can fulfill this. And that's God's heart. Every single person that comes to him, no matter what they have come from, where they've come from, what they've done, what their social status is, what their gender status is, what their economic status is, what their racial status is, everybody special to God. And his heart is to make people come close to him as possible because he's a loving God. He's not a strange God. He's not a God who's somewhere up somewhere with a whole bunch of other gods or a mean God or a God who just likes to watch events unfold and does nothing about helping people. He's not a God that says the saying, you made your bed, now go lie in it. In other words, you caused your problems or you did this and that, now you have to suffer. And you're going to be caught in a vicious cycle now. You're going to come back many times in your lifetime to suffer the cycle of lifetimes, I should say. Where is the comfort in such a, a, a belief? My ancestors believed those things. But the truth comes like a bright light and just dispels all of those things that are confusing and contradictory and Binding, and there's no relief, there's no hope, there's no eternal life. But Jesus comes, God comes, and he says, I'm holy, and this is the way you can be made holy. I want you to live with me. I want to touch you. I not only give you something after you die, an afterlife, you'll certainly have that with eternal happiness. That's why he came down and gave his blood. He died for us. But he says, while you're alive, I will do miracles for you. This is what he said to Israel. He said, out of all the people on the face of the earth, you alone have I given all these laws. How privileged they were. And anything they didn't understand, all they had to do was by faith say, well, God said it, and I'm going to follow it. And they would realize they're blessed when they follow it. Similar to our situation. There are some things here that we don't understand. We just need to not follow what the devil wants us to do, which is run away from God. But come nearer to God and say, Lord, please explain this more to me. But whether I understand it or not, I'm going to do what you said. That's faith. God always honors faith and implicit obedience. That means obedience without reservation, with no questions. We can question in terms of wanting to understand, but not question in terms of deciding whether to obey or not obey. Because he's God. And we'll look next time at the section on leprosy skin diseases and how um, similar to the defilement that happens with certain things that come in contact with these dead bodies of certain creatures how the washing is necessary it was a symbol of the 
spiritual washing we need anytime we transgress or we do something that is not right before God. A person may get jealous all of a sudden. It's possible. doesn't mean that they have to. We're not supposed to. But somebody who's not watching, who's not close to God, they may all of a sudden feel jealous. Somebody succeeded. And they have these bitter feelings. Nobody knows perhaps, but it's in there. It's a sin against God. God sees it. doesn't mean they're cut off. doesn't mean that they're cut off from God forever. No. God says, if you've done that, which is not right, that's not love, then come to me and confess and I will wash you. I will cleanse you. He made provision through the blood of Jesus. If somebody feels that they are in love with money, they live for money. And that's what drives them to do what they do. Never mind the need for family cohesion, the togetherness, caring for one's children or spouse. The first thing is money. So they will move, they will sell, they'll do whatever they have to do because money is king. That is covetousness, that's idolatry, that's greediness. God said that will destroy a person. It's as if a person has an idol, except for them it's the dollar bill or whatever denomination people use in whatever society they live in. Money. The access to get something that can get me whatever I want. Access to power. You have to lay it aside. Now if somebody finds themselves shifting toward money, it's possible. They need to confess that to God. What does God do? He washes that person when they confess and turn away from it. Say, Lord, I don't want to live like that. I've seen people live like that, Lord. They ended up miserable. Even if they had the most riches, they had no relationships. Everything was superficial if they had it and certainly no relationship with God. Where they end up? In hell for eternity because they worship money for a few years on the earth. They were deceived. For other people, it's the popularity. They just cannot be without being around people, without hearing people say, you look good in so many ways. They live for that. It's like an entertainer I heard many years ago, or a number of them. They may have gone into a venture of making movies or something, and they've no longer done concerts in their society of folly and wasting their lives, entertaining people with everything but God, God's things. What happens? They say, well, I miss the live audience. What do they mean? They say, I miss the energy. What energy? In other words, I miss people clapping for me. I miss people saying I did a great job and admiring me. There's a certain deceptive pull from Satan that seeks to deify a person. That person doesn't need to necessarily be out there in the open entertaining millions of people. It can be a person in a home, but they have that secret desire and they fantasize what it would be like to be popular, like this one on TV or that one. And they start getting into that world, and that's how the devil lures people into not only a fantasy world. They may go to work, they may take care of their household duties, but there's a secret dissatisfaction and there's a drawing to something that is not of God. It's a world of uncleanness where their idol is themselves. But God exposes all of that. He said, this is not from me, it's from the devil. 
You be happy and content so long as you're godly, you're following me. You have everything. And you love people and seek to help people, not seek to help yourself and get people to help you so that you can be somebody pleasing yourself. For all of these things is a remedy. Praise be to God. Come near to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. You didn't die on the cross so I can live like this? In an ugly way? Lord, clean me up. Who can clean the heart? You see, we can clean our hands externally. We can take something contaminated by a dead animal's body, the dead body of an animal that's unclean, and what do you do? Verse 40 of chapter 11, in Leviticus chapter 11, wash the clothing. Later on we'll see certain things need to be washed, certain utensils, and certain parts need to be broken. This is the way they can make do to return to a state of ceremonial cleanliness. But what do you do when the contamination is in the heart? Who can clean that? That's exactly what it says in the Bible, in Ezekiel and other places in Jeremiah. God says, come get a clean new heart. Get a new heart. How do you get that? Coming to God. Where the Lord Jesus' blood washes our hearts clean. When we come and surrender to Him. And then after we're born again, we continue to come under that blood because it has power to continue to clean. So long as a person is sincere. And they said, Lord, I've, I've done something that I shouldn't have done, Lord. I thought something, Lord. I was suspicious of somebody when they did no wrong. It was a false witness within me because I was listening to the devil. I thought ill or evil about somebody when I had no business doing that. Even if it was the case that the person is evil. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, Love keeps no record of wrongs. So God's standard shows us how to be holy. And we need to go to Him continually. Doesn't mean we have to continually sin. But if anyone does, we can always go to the blood that washes more thoroughly than any water. The Bible says in the Prophets, God can clean us, make us whiter than any detergent, basically. More than any launderer soap can. How beautiful, how wonderful that today we have a relationship with God, we can be with God, we can go to God, we can be washed by His blood. And it does something that it washes not only our hands, our bodies, but the total person's spirit, soul, and body and primarily what cannot be touched by these external regulations and provisions, taking water, His blood washes our hearts. Holiness unto the Lord. Yes, that was written on the crown, the mitre, that was on the head of the high priest. And God says to all Israel, be holy because I'm holy. And as we ended with chapter 12 today, once again we underscore the fact that being ceremonially unclean doesn't mean that they sinned, but only that they're in a state that needs to be rectified. And God says how to do it. Simple as that. And as he said again, childbirth 
is a miraculous work of God and children are a blessing from the Lord and happy is the person that has his quiver full of them it's like a mighty man a warrior children are a blessing there are societies I close with this we all know it such as China and I believe India and other places it seems to be the norm that you may have one child be happy don't think about it anymore because we only have a certain amount of food on the earth, you know. And another child would just be more hurt to your wallet, more strain on society's resources. There are people who think like that. They politicize this and they have propaganda and they interfere with what God blesses. And there are people who follow governmental edicts and this propaganda. They go against God's will God's blessing the others who say well you can have two you can not just have one but we'll be liberal very generous to you people you can have two children but that's about it two is company and three is a crowd so don't crowd your family with three children now and there are people who follow that and there are people who are given advice by parents and grandparents perhaps and relatives and friends as well as the government and so-called authorities that this is the way it should be and anything that violates this standard that we set up is going to be trouble for you and trouble for everybody. What do they do? They stick with the two. And there are those who say, well, I had a boy and now if I can just have a girl um, set. What happened to seeking God's will and praying? After all, God is the giver of life. What about saying, Lord, you've given me the gift of children so that I can train them to worship you and serve you, live for you and tell people about you and give hope to the world. And as many as you want to give me, that is in your will, then Lord, who am I to stop that? Within that, of course, we have the latitude God gives and the wisdom that we check after the mother and the family's health, overall health. Certain situations warrant that we use proper judgment to not exasperate or aggravate some condition, which may even lead to the loss of life. God gives us wisdom on these things, but the motive for which we may despise the gift that God gives of children is exposed. Because people will say many times, very directly, exactly what certain governments may tell them. What their ungodly friends and even relatives may tell them. There are cases in which a large family may not have expected the parents and the siblings for yet another child. But that child, the last one, 
or the next to the last one in a large family may end up being the world changer for good. Imagine if they went by the rule. One is enough or two is enough. How they would have robbed humanity of the blessing of that particular child that was destined to do good for masses of people. When it comes to the word of the Lord, you see God clearly saying, children are a gift from the Lord. And when a parent or a guardian has that idea and understanding that God has given me this child, maybe the person's own child or maybe adopted child or spiritual children even. But the responsibility, the joy that I can bring these children to the Lord, show them the love that God has shown me in Jesus Christ, pure love. And seek their best. And that's all. Not to make me look good. But the motive is I want the child to be all that God has planned in his blueprint for that child. What a joy to be used by God to rear that child. To raise that child. In the ways of God. And see the child become a strong, mighty man or woman of God. To bless so many people. And save so many people. Glory be to God. Whatever the Lord spoke and whatever applies to you, hold fast to it. Don't let it go. And let it give you joy today as we pursue the Lord to be holy and to encourage each other to walk according to His will. And bottom line is His will in all things will give us the greatest satisfaction and joy. Now and for eternity. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We praise you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for dissecting certain things, Lord, and taking us deeper beyond even some of the common explanations Christian commentators, Lord, and preachers may give in some of the things that may not even be correct. Not merely educated guesses, but just not right altogether. We see that things you put, Lord, to us as holy and unholy, just to be followed. When we read the whole Bible, we can see the context and we can take the principle. I thank you, Lord, that all of this leads to something the Israelites would have desired, which is a clean conscience, clear conscience. Be able to come into God's temple and worship you freely, Lord, with nothing... No guilty feeling. Hallelujah. And through your blood, we are cleansed. Hallelujah. We're able to worship freely. And God, you said that you will receive it as a sweet-smelling aroma. And we have such a tight fellowship with you because we do what pleases you. Heaven rains down blessings, just like you did for the Israelites. Go for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We can have a beautiful walk with you no matter what adversity comes our way. Jesus is more than enough to help us to surmount those difficulties. Hallelujah. And give us victory every time through your blood. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.